Get ready to hear the truth about America on a show that's not immune to the facts with your host, Dan Bongino. All right, welcome to the Dan Bongino Show. Producer Joseph Armacost, how are you today? I'm cool, baby. Yeah. You're cool, baby. Yeah. 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 Joe, looking yeah. like uh, the non-gravy sweating Elvis. Yeah. Hey, correction yesterday. Major, major correction. What? Major. This is like tier one level damage to the show's credibility. Oh, I said yesterday the Dodge Viper had a V12 engine. I don't know what I was thinking. I'm a huge Dodge Viper fan. It has a V10 engine. What was I thinking? And I didn't say anything. Oh, Joe, you got to stop me when I say that. I love the Dodge Viper. I don't know what I was thinking. I don't know. Me either. V10. That's just uh, horrifying. I'm done. Show's over. All right. See you later. Thanks, folks, for tuning in. We're going to wrap it up at episode 727, Tuning Out Forever. Yeah, I'm a big Dodge Viper fan. I was absolutely horrified. Hey, bud, just a quick note. I will be doing a show for Memorial Day. Uh, We're probably doing more of a rough cuts type episode for those of you new listeners. It's um, when I address from my Secret Service experience and all the mixed martial arts and stuff, and I get into some non-politics related stuff. They're usually a pretty big hit. So uh, we'll probably be doing that for uh, the Memorial Day show. Uh, it's always a, a, a solemn day recognizing those who have uh, fallen in remembrance of our country, including my uncle, Greg Ambrose. But uh, I don't want to bombard you with politics on a day like that. So uh, it should be a pretty good show, though, and I hope you like it. All right. All right. I have uh, more bombshells today for you. Uh, a ton of stuff to get to on the show. A lot of content out there. So don't go anywhere, including some evidence that the reason that this thing was never announced, the initiation point of this spying operation into Trump is because they are hiding something dramatic. And that is the fact that there may have been a setup based around the Trump Tower meeting. Now, hat tip to a source on this. You know who you are. Nice job putting two and two together on that one. Um, I had some kind of inklings of it, but until the dates lined up and I read a New York Washington Post piece, I wasn't exactly sure. So I got something on that. Those damned inklings. Yeah, those inklings keep yeah. coming around, and they're really <laughs> yeah. good. It's what's great about having high-quality people uh, who are able to feed stuff to you. All right, today's show brought to you by our buddies at Filter By. It's spring cleaning time, and like Trump is cleaning out corrupt officials, you can clean up the air you breathe and make your HVAC system great again. And folks, do not procrastinate. Otherwise, well, I, I usually mix this up. It says dust, mold, and pollutants. Yeah. Let's do it in reverse today. Pollutants, mold, and dust will clog up your HVAC system. It will. It'll become inefficient, and it'll end up costing you a lot of money. Sounds like the federal government. Clean up your HVAC system today with my friends at FilterBuy, America's leading provider of HVAC filters for both homes and small businesses. They carry over 600 different filter sizes, including custom options, all shipped free within 24 hours. Plus, they're manufactured right here in America, baby. FilterBuy offers a multitude of MERV options all the way up to hospital grade, so you'll be removing dangerous pollen, mold, dust, and other allergy-aggravating pollution while maximizing the efficiency of your system and your lungs. Right now, you can save 5% when you set up auto delivery, so you'll never need to think about air filters again. Save money. Save time. Breathe better with FilterBuy.com. That's filter, B-U-I.com, filterby.com. Please support our sponsors. They support us. It's a great company, filterby.com. You all right there, Joe? You look like you were going to die. Yeah, I was okay? kind of feeling like I was going to die, too. With the I need your address because I, need, I may need to send an ambulance in the future if something <laughs> like that happens. Yeah. Sheesh. Joe <laughs> looked a little like uh, trouble there. Sometimes it's good if the listeners can see us, you know? <laughs> Yeah, well, let me ask you this, listeners, because this show's all about you. It's a serious question. I'm in the middle of contract negotiations with like 65,000 different people who want a piece of the podcast these days, thanks to you all. The power is in you, not in me. Um, You all listen. But uh, would you all like a, if it was an additional option, a live podcast on video? In other words, same podcast. Nothing changes. You can still access it on iTunes. Nothing changes for you at all on the audio side. But would you like a video show? In other words, the, me and Joe on camera doing it live. Well, you can actually listen to the show live. The, the nice part is you can see the screw-ups, which Joe edits out, which are always hysterical, right, Joe? We've yeah. had some epic classics oh, yeah. in there. Yeah, the the screw-up file alone is good. Um, and you could watch it live, and you'd see me and Joe, and you can see how we actually do the show. Uh, so let me know. I'd love to hear that because it's uh, an interesting 
negotiating point I'm working on now with a couple people who are highly interested in getting access to our audience. So I'd love to hear from you. All right. Uh, let's see. Where do we go? Oh, first, the NFL story. I want to get to that first. So the NFL is backtracked. And again, I, I want you all to take a, a bow on this. I had said to you yesterday that we are in this for the long run. The difference with conservatives and liberals is conservatives are used to the fight. We are battle hardened. We are used to the ideological fight. We are used to being insulted. We are used to being attacked. We are used to being called the most horrific things, disingenuous, lying liberals calling us misogynistic, racist, uh, xenophobic, horrible, disgusting things. You would never call your worst enemy if you didn't mean it. Liberals do to us because they have nothing else. We're used to this. Sadly, the I call them the phobic phobic istophobe crap <laughs> everybody's a homophobe racist misogynist they have no evidence that any of this is actually true um they just say it because they know it's a disgusting thing to be called so we're used to this we're used to the fight we're used to the facts we're used to the data we're used to arguing our point liberals aren't they're the snowflake crowd they're the color forms crowd they're the paint by numbers crowd they have nothing they are not ready for this fight well what happened yesterday with the nfl some of you may have missed the story the NFL yesterday has now instituted a new policy that you will get your caboose off the, your knees and you will not kneel during the national anthem. And if you do, your team will be fine. I think it could have been a stronger penalty. I think you get fined like 15 yards on a kickoff or something ridiculous. Should have been like a $100,000 fine per incident. But whatever it was, it wasn't that. It should have been a dramatic penalty. But if you want to kneel, you can kneel. But you will just do it in the locker room. You will not humiliate the NFL anymore in front of a national audience. Now, this came about two years too late, Joe. Yeah. They should have done this two years ago. But why did it happen at all? So I want you all to take a bow. because I, And, and I only bring this up, folks, because I get a lot of email. Now that the show is, thanks to you again exclusively, really blown up. I My email, you know, we have me, my daughter, and my wife spend about four hours a day reading emails and going through them and trying to answer as many as we can, right? I get a lot of emails. Oh, by the way, breaking news. Trump says the summit with North Korea has been canceled. Ha, good for you. <laughs> nice job. Good. <laughs> they thought they were going to play uh, play old uh, DJT, the North Koreans, play Donald Trump. Hey, this is what we want before we show up. Uh, no thanks, canceled. See you later, but have a nice day. Good for you. Um, but getting back to that, People seem depressed in some of these emails as if we're constantly losing this fight. And again, I don't want to keep harping on this, but I'm not trying to be Tony Robbins or your motivational speaker. I'm just telling you that, yeah, we've lost some fights. No question about it. I'm talking about culture war fights. We're Right now, the, the economic fight. Remember, there are three distinct spheres of combat here, and I'm talking about ideological. The violence is for the left, as was evidenced by the attack on Tommy Lahren in uh, Los Angeles. Guy, a woman gets up, throws a drink on her. She's leaving a restaurant. Tommy, a conservative commentator, just disgusting, filthy stuff. Well, the violence is the leftist thing. It's not our thing, okay? But there are three spheres of ideological combat here. There's the political arena. In other words, just straightforward elections, which Republicans have been winning. So one of the three, we're doing very well. We have the presidency, we have the House, the majority of governorships, we have the Senate, and now we're starting to restack the courts with people who act as actual judges um, and are uh, constructionists, strict uh, 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 constitutionalists, um, and we're getting away from legislating from the bench, black robe legislating. Right. So the political realm, we're doing well. The cultural realm... And this is where I believe the NFL story is largely low. They're all, and, and just to be clear, all of these fights have a little bit of each in it. Even the NFL is a political component. Why? Because when Donald Trump got elected, what did he do? He filleted the NFL. So there's, but this is largely a cultural uh, story. So there's a cultural fight. And by cultural fight, I mean an effort by the left. This is, you got to get this. This is really important. Um, an effort by the left to change the culture to paint as outcast, Joe, anyone who doesn't strictly subscribe to the far left ideology. Yeah. The state is in charge. There, you're, there is no God. The state is your God. Genuflect before the altar of state power. Anybody who believes otherwise uh, hates old people is a racist, misogynist, sistophobic, phobophobe, right? Yep. Then there's the economic 
uh, combat going on right now. Companies that don't strictly subscribe to liberal ideology. In other words, you're you know, you know a bank and you allow purchases of firearms. Perfectly legal, by the way. We will somehow boycott you and try to put you out of business. Now, in those three spheres, we're winning the political one. The culture one, we're losing but gaining ground. The economic one, we're losing badly, but we're just starting to get our sea legs. I want to address those three in terms of the NFL story, and I want to get onto some other stuff. There's some other just bombshell stuff on the Russia thing. I mean it, like really, really transformative stuff. The NFL story. We The problem the NFL has is the NFL and the culture war stacked itself with a lot of Democrats in its PR department. The people who were in its PR department were former Democrat operatives who somehow managed to convince Roger Goodell and the NFL management staff, despite the quiet pleas of many of its owners, that this kneeling thing, oh, listen, with the, the, the backlash will be far more severe from liberal America than conservative America if we don't allow them to kneel. Now, if you are you live anywhere in America outside of New York, Chicago, and Los Angeles, you were like, wait, what? This was ridiculous. This policy generated overwhelming backlash from not just conservative America, but largely patriotic Democrats, too, who were like, wait, you're, nail- you're kneeling on the sidelines during the national anthem in an act of complete, total disrespect? Give me a break. This was a huge, make no mistake... This was a huge loser for the NFL. Yep. They were down double digits in league attendance. They're down double digits in viewership. Double digits both years. Yep. This was a... Joe's doing the circling down the drain thing. This was a loser with a capital L in the cultural and economic arena for the NFL. But because they were either pressured or believed that the Democrat ideology is somehow dominant in a country that's largely center-right, they hired a bunch of leftists in their PR staff who managed to convince them that this was the right approach to let people use this far-left stance kneeling for the national anthem. They managed to convince them that doing that, letting them do that was the right thing. This was a huge mistake. It was a huge mistake. And what the NFL didn't take into account is what I told you yesterday, doubling down and piggybacking on yesterday's show. Conservatives are tough. We are the sheepdogs. The skin is thick. We have been there. We have been in these trenches. We have been in these fights. And we are willing to forego small pleasures in life to win. Liberals aren't. They're not willing to do it. They're not. I see liberals in Chick-fil-A in New York all the time. You ever go to New York? They're probably 99% of Manhattan is probably liberal or Democrat. (laughs) Maybe. All right. (laughs) 97.6. Go to the Chick-fil-A across from Fox News when I go up. It's packed all the time. Liberals. And I'm not suggesting they should stay out of Chick-fil-A. I'm just telling you, liberals don't have the heart for this fight. We do. When When the NFL ticked off conservative America... They, they said, forget it. I love football, but I don't love it that much. Me included. I haven't watched the Super Bowl in two years. It was over. I don't even know after this change in policy, now that you have to stand for the national anthem. Joe, I don't even know if they're going to get them back. Yeah. I really don't. Me, I'm still undecided. I am. I'm just being candid with you because I don't uh, fake the funk on this show. I am not sure I'm going to be back. Because my eyeballs generate revenue for the NFL when I watch in terms of their advertisers. And I still know in my heart that a lot of these players, uh, and I, I listen, I respect their ability to speak out. This is not a First Amendment issue at all. But we can all agree that we love our country. Yeah. And we love our country because you have the right here to speak out. Yep. A right brave men and women fought and died for. And you can spend a minute of your time with your hand over your heart, acknowledging that your right to speak out on these issues powerfully, and I don't object to that at all, was preserved by people who died for that flag. It's a moment of respect. You know, I was touched by a conversation I had once with my neighbor. Uh, he's Cuban. We are backyard. They cut down the tree. So we, we see each other. We talk to each other a lot. Mm-hmm. And he was telling me, Joe, that even in Cuba, in Cuba, when everybody understood the damage 
being done to the people of Cuba by its socialist government. Mm. That when their anthem was played, that even Cubans would get up understanding the sacrifices people had made for each other, not for the socialist government, that even they would get up and stand and acknowledge their own anthem. Even in a socialist regime, he told me, it's not my words, it was his. He was so offended by that, the fact that in the United States, despite its many, we're all sinners here, right? Countries included. Sure. That we have always strived to be better. That in the United States, the most successful country in the history of humankind, you can't get off your knees and for a moment put your hand over your heart, speak out after it. He was so, I never forgot that. This was a loser. Because they never, ever understood the thick skin of the conservatives out there willing to forego the small pleasures in life to win a larger and passion principled fight in the end. They never understood that, the NFL. And they made a catastrophic mistake. But you won. Because despite the fact that it seemed like we were losing over and over again, oh my gosh, now they're kneeling in the NFL. They destroyed the NFL. They, we didn't lose. We won. There's now a formal policy in place because you refuse to watch. Pat yourself on the back. Take a bow, not a knee. You won. Make no mistake. This is an unmistakable victory for patriotic Americans who believe in this country despite its flaws. You won. Now, just quickly, I said I would talk about this. In these three arenas, we're winning in the political arena. Mm Mm-hmm. The reasons are quite simple. It's a center-right country. Outside of New York, Chicago, Los Angeles, and a couple of major cities, the United States is largely a center-right country, as evidenced by the sea of red when you look at electoral maps. It is a center-right country. It should not be surprising to you that in a center-right country, they are going to vote in center-right politicians. That is why the Republicans have overwhelming majorities in the House of Representatives, a slight majority in the Senate, and we won the presidency because the country's center right in the culture war. So again, just in the three spheres, political, cultural, and economic. Political, the victories for us shouldn't be surprising. We're doing quite well there. The culture wars we were losing for a long time. We were losing because they dominate Academia, Hollywood, and the media. So when you go to school, when you watch television, you see a movie, or you, <clears throat> or excuse me, or you listen to the radio, you are being told things about the country that you, of course, start to believe are true. Wow, gosh, all this stuff about, mm-hmm. you know, men in the women's room and whatever. This is mainstream now. No, it's not. It's not mainstream. It's what you're being told by the dominant cultural spheres within the sphere of the culture fight academia, the media, and Hollywood and and the entertainment community. They dominate the culture. What's happening, though, now? They've gone so far left, Joe, that ideas they could gaslight with with us before, and they've gone so vile in their hatred of everything we believe in, including the president, Mm -hmm. that they've generated a substantial backlash and people are seeking other outlets and tuning them out. Remember, the power in the culture war is to change the culture through eyeballs and ears, folks. The power in the culture war is, Joe, to propagandize people by talking to them through imagery and audio. Yep. Music, television, movies, the education classroom. Well, what's happening? Instead of doing the smart thing, In the propaganda arena, which is slowly indoctrinating people into a new way of thinking. Trump has so upset the apple cart, they can't control their emotions, that they've responded in hyperbolic. This is the gift of Donald Trump. What did I tell you? And maybe five, six different shows I've done on this. The gift of Donald Trump is he got the left to show their butts, let's say. It's a family-friendly show, right? (laughs) He got the left to show their butts for the first time. He got elected. Their hatred for him was so severe. We need open borders. Impeach Trump. Arrest him. In some cases, calling for, you know, assassination. I'm not kidding. 
And all of a sudden, people who would have maybe been prone to a little bit of propaganda on the Democrat side in those cultural spheres before Joe, now all of a sudden are like, wait, 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 wait. Like Kathy Griffin, who shows a picture of a decapitated Trump head. All of a sudden, liberals are are, are there, are, liberals, they overstep their boundaries. And the, the, the impressionable people out there are like, wait, wait, this is not me. That's not me. They're telling their kids, Johnny, Melissa, that's not us, okay? We don't do that. We may not have liked Barack Obama, but I'll tell you right now, neither me nor anyone else would ever recommend anything as crazy as this, what's going on now. We fight in the political front. It's not going to be personal. And it generated a backlash. What happened? People tuned them out. So in the culture war, yes, we suffered some significant losses in the culture war. There's no doubt. The NFL is an example of what happens with a hyperbolic, overreaching response by the left in response to Trump, which was, is his gift. He gets them to show their butts because he doesn't play by the standard rules. Republicans in the past would toe right up to the line where the media hated them, and then what would they do? Oh, I'm really sorry. Did I offend the media with the animals comment? Hey, guys, maybe I could have worded that uh, differently. What does Trump do? No, thanks. Doubles down. He issues a press release. Hey, let me tell you something. Do you see the press release, by the way, folks? A press release, and the title of it is, uh, What You Need to Know About MS-13 Animals. This is great. This is Trump. <laughs> So instead of dialing it back and the media in turn dialing back their hate meter, what do they do? The hate meter goes to the red zone in the media right away. Trump, get him, impeach him. And all of a sudden, normal, everyday, working class Americans are like, wait, wait, impeach the president? For what? Some of them are saying, I'm not necessarily a fan of the guy, but the economy's doing okay. Want to impeach the guy? For what? For what? And they tune it out. Just like they tuned out the NFL. And in a business... Academics need your eyeballs in the classroom. The cultural elites and the media, they need your eyeballs on the TV screen. The Hollywood entertainment community needs your eyes on the movie screen and your ears attached to their music. But what happens when you turn it off? That's what happened in the NFL. That's why Hollywood has been steadily increasing its production of Christian-themed and spiritually-based movies. Because you tuned out all the other junk. Outside of Marvel movies and some tentpole movies they're doing, Hollywood is dying. Because you tuned it out. This has been the gift of Trump. This is why we won the NFL fight. Now, finally, in the economic arena. We have not been doing great here. There's a, there are reasons here. And this is... You know, I... I don't like to say this because it sounds um, too self-laudatory, but it's important. I think this is one of the more important intros I've done. One, to give you a little bit, again, I'm not trying to be a motivational speaker, but to, to explain to you tactically what's happening so you know what's working and what's not. We're winning in the political arena because we vote and we're center right. It's simple. Which means what for you? Vote and go get 10 more people to vote. Do not miss the midterm elections. Do not miss any election. In the cultural arena, what am I telling you? Tune it out. Tune it out. Just stop watching. Someone pulls another stunt like the NFL did with the kneeling. Tune it out. Oh, but it's I'm not gonna I'm not gonna make a difference. It's gonna take forever. You just won yesterday. What do you mean? Your eyeballs and ears matter. You got an actress or an actor in a Hollywood movie takes a shot at Christians, a president, Republicans. Don't go. Oh, but my one ticket isn't going to make a difference. It is making a difference. Their ticket sales are down dramatically. You are changing things. You are winning. They're not ready for this fight. Dick Sporting Goods. We are going to lobby against the Second Amendment. We are pulling firearms and AR-15s, our AR-15 stock off the shelves. Okay. Dick Sporting Goods. What's foot traffic down double digits? You're winning. They're not. How do they win? They're a business. I couldn't care any less if Dick's goes out of business or not. I feel bad for the employees, but Dick's made a dumb call, and dumb calls have penalties, just like in sports. As Joey says, yeah, Dick's, Dick's. (laughs) 
<laughs> oh boy, we're laughing at our own jokes like a bunch of goons. You're winning. You're making serious progress in the culture wars. In the economic wars, we're, we are losing badly. Now, when I talk about the economic combat here going on, I'm talking about the left has now figured out through a, the power of, so I largely blame this on social media. The left is, and I'm, I'm not, I don't, I don't blame, I don't mean it's social media's fault. I, I'm just talking about what I think the, the nexus of this newfound faux economic power is on the left. I'm not suggesting Twitter, for as many of my beefs that I have with Twitter and Facebook, I, this isn't their fault. They provide a forum for people that other people can see. We're losing the economic war because other people can see the traffic. What do I mean by that? Joe, before the advent of Twitter mm-hmm. and Facebook and other social media forms, we had email. Email hubs have been around forever. Yeah. Some of the younger folks listening, maybe my daughter's always stunned to hear that, that when you and I grew up, Joe, there was no email. No. Matter of <laughs> fact, there was no internet. They're like, dad, no way. I'm like, no, there was no internet. I no. remember when Prodigy came around when I was in grammar school and I thought it was the most amazing thing ever. You can get the Yankee scores in live time. Oh my <laughs> gosh. I thought it was the craziest thing ever. I couldn't, I'm like, how does it do that? Is it talking over the telephone? Um, There was no internet. But we've had email, obviously, for a while now. And in the past, the left would do these boycott campaigns. So if you had a company like Dix that sold the AR-15 rifle, they may email uh, Dix and they may email their email group and say, hey, look, we're emailing Dix and we're pressuring them to to get rid of this uh, firearm and to pull it off their shelves. But the reality is, folks, outside of that limited circle of liberals that were engaged in this email boycott campaign, nobody knew about it. Why? Because it was. I know. I, I know what you think. I can already see it. Email. Yeah, yeah. Like dicks. Yeah. Yeah. I know. Terrible, isn't it? <laughs> they, they, this is what we, I know. We're setting ourselves up for disaster. Here. This is. Uh, this is. This, I know because they're they're emailing them, and only the people on that email list know. Now, Joe, yes. who joins a, a liberal email list? Liberals. Liberals. Yeah. So you're talking only to liberals. And a lot of these companies in the past would weather the storm. You'd have a company like Dick's. They'd say, eh, we got 30, 40 emails from a bunch of people saying, pull AR-15s off the shelf. What should we do? They'd be like, oh, whatever. Ignore it for now. Just answer back. Hey, we believe in the Second Amendment. We'll, We'll ride this storm out. Okay. The advent of social media made those electronic communications public. Why? Because now... You could tweet to them, you could Facebook them, and all of your followers see it too. And now, all of a sudden, Dix thinks, oh my gosh, there's a groundswell. This is crazy, Joe. There's a thousand people tweeting us. It's not a thousand people tweeting you. One, most of them are probably bots anyway. (laughs) Another large swath of them are probably paid Media Matters goons. The reality is there's no groundswell for this at all. But other people see it. And they retweet it. And people who are, Joe, candidly only marginally interested in the AR-15 Second Amendment issue at all, all of a sudden they're like, all right, I'm on Twitter and I'm bored in college, so let me tweet uh, out to to Dick Sporting Goods, too, and say, hey, guys, uh, I want you to pull AR-15s. Meanwhile, they don't really care. They're just retweeting it or copying a tweet. Bingo. And all of a sudden it looks like a groundswell. Right. The left has figured this out. They figured it out. They figured out how to use social media to make their fringe, chaotic, crazy little movement of radical status appear larger than they really are. And companies have not figured out how to weather the storm yet. You just ignore it. They go away. Liberals have no heart for this fight. We're going to, we're going to, boy, there's a thing in Florida now going on, right? Publix is the big supermarket chain. They yeah. donated to a Republican candidate for governor down here who uh, happens to be in, uh, supported by, uh, well, not supported. I shouldn't say that. He's, he's, he's a, he's a advocate for the second amendment. So people like boycott Publix until they withdraw their support for the NRA and this politician. Nobody's going to boycott Publix. Publix, why are you even paying attention to this? Ignore, just ignore it. I live in Palm City, Florida. There's like three, four publics. There has not been a... I, I've been th- there probably three times in the last week. There has not been a... Si- the place is packed every time <laughs> I'm in there. 
I know because I go to the deli line. You can never get a sandwich. I see some of you on the desk. I'm like, hey, listen to your show. You know who I'm talking about. That, ignore it. These people, Why are you paying attention to these people? It's a group of radicals on Twitter calling for a boycott of a supermarket because they donated to a politician who's a Republican. It's absurd. Republicans have, and Republican lawmakers should not be you know, the subject. This is just nonsense of these uh, Twitter boycotts because it's just so stupid. My point in this is we're losing because liberals know how to act collectively. They have a Borg mindset from Star Trek. They think with they 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 think like uh, the like hive like a, they have a hive mind. They think like worker bees. They're given instructions from the queen. The queen is socialism, right? And they go and they act collectively. It's a very liberal mindset to act in groups. It's a whole you know collectivism. The whole term collectivism, yeah. right? Yeah. The reason Republicans have not been, and conservatives specifically, have not been very good in responding to use social media themselves to respond is we don't really act that well collectively. We don't. We believe in individual rights, entrepreneurialism, and it's not necessarily a collective thing. I know this because I'm part of a lot of Republican groups, and I've seen the difficulty they have getting any kind of collective action together. We're too busy working, for one thing. Uh, Bingo. Bingo. We're not social justice warriors building cry rooms and safe spaces. We're out there doing real jobs. In my case, three. Three jobs. Joe has two jobs, which may be three soon if we do this live video. Folks, we don't act that way, but we've got to learn. We figured it out in the cultural arena, how to respond collectively one at a time, not buying tickets, not going to colleges that are liberal, not donating to liberal college campuses. We'll figure it out in the economic one. But we will turn the tide on this, so I don't want you to worry. We will, but it's going to require individual action that has a collective impact, just like we did in the culture fights. Okay. All right, I want to get to some of this stuff because I found some just gems yesterday. Sorry about that. I really didn't want to spend that, I, that long on that, but it's super important stuff. We're winning. Don't don't be so down all the time. We're winning. Okay, one of my favorite new sponsors, We the People Holsters. We the People Holsters.com slash Dan. We the People Holsters.com slash Dan. Thanks for the read. Imagine that if it was just ended there. <laughs> we love these guys. They're great. Joe, I saw you, Joe, creeping away there. Hey, Second Amendment lovers know that May, that was the month of the NRA annual meetings and exhibits. I was there. I met a lot of you. Now, whether you attended it, you celebrated at the range, you can show your support with a custom holster from We The People Holsters. I love this company. <laughs> we, I'm sorry. They, they're, they're so terrific. I get a ton of great emails about them. We The People Holsters, they make custom-made holsters made in the USA. They design their own holsters in-house. So what does that mean to you? They don't use third-party molds for holsters. They design them in Las Vegas. They cut every mold to fit each gun perfectly. Don't believe me? Check it out. We update designs that change. They add new designs every month, and it lets them stay up to date on new models that come out. So when they say their designed uh, holsters are, t- are perfectly fit then with their own molds, they mean it. They have a 3D design team that measures every micromillimeter of the gun for the perfect fit. You can adjust the cant. You can adjust the ride of the holster. They design their own clip. Clip, not like a clip like the media refers to a magazine. The clip for the holster. Right. That has four holes on the clip that match up with four on the holster. So you can not only adjust the cant, but you can adjust the ride as well. It's so comfortable. I love this thing. It has adjustable tension. Each holster will have that click sound. I love that. I love it. It lets you know when the firearm's clicked in place. If you ever want more tension, just tighten one screw and you're done. They have custom printed designs, thin blue line, thin red line, the Constitution, camo, and American flag, and more coming out each month. Here's the thing. The prices of the holster start at just $34. Every holster comes with a lifetime guarantee. Every holster ships free. And if it's not a perfect fit, send it back for a refund. You won't need to. We the People Holsters makes the best stuff out there. Go to we the people holsters.com, we the people holsters.com slash Dan. Use promo code Dan, my first name, get $10 off your first holster. Just be $24 with the free shipping. That's we the people holsters.com slash Dan. Promo code Dan. Okay. 
So I got about four or five emails yesterday and I was talking to someone. Let's say communicating is probably a better way to phrase this. And I was pushed on to a lead about something. And I thought, yes, that makes all the sense in the world. Let me throw a what if out at you. What if the reason they cannot agree on a date anyone for the at this point who was involved in the spygate scandal on trump what if the reason they can't agree on the date is because nobody really knows the date why do people keep saying if you listen to yesterday's show that oh things started happening around late spring of 2016 the reason they don't want to agree on a date is because certain things happened in this investigation. In other words, the recruitment of a spy to uh, this this guy Halper to interact with Trump team members trying to entrap them and probe information. Now, Joe, the reason the date is up in the air on this mm-hmm. is because traditionally the way federal investigations work, and I, you know what, I really can't stand media pe- media people. Just stop talking. If you don't know, I'm serious. If you don't know what you're talking about, about how these cases work and you're not willing to do the homework, you're not helping. Philip Bump at the Washington Post has an unbelievably stupid piece in the Washington Post yesterday about how Spygate isn't about spies. That is so dumb. I lost probably 20 IQ points reading it. You you just don't know. You can't. You're doing spy. You can't even do journalism. Now you're doing spy operations. He clearly shows no interest at all in the actual operational mechanics of either intelligence or law enforcement operate. None. But they write about it so authoritatively. The reason they can't agree on a date is because tangible law enforcement intelligence community actions happened on very specific dates we know about, Joe. Why? Because mm-hmm. there are emails. Mm-hmm. We have dates that th- this spy recruited by the FBI to intersect uh, the Trump orbit and probe them for information. We have dates that they emailed members of the Trump team. Right. Now, the reason no one will agree on a date, and I brought this up on Laura Ingram last night in her Fox show, is because if the date of the investigation is earlier than those things, but they can't appoint, they they can't point, excuse me, to a tangible piece of evidence that led to this, you had an investigation that started with zero evidence at all. That's why they keep leaving the date up in the air. Because, they're, in other words, if I'm investigating Joe Armacost for being a spy for the Russian government, and someone says to me, how did that investigation start? And I say, well, it started because we got a tip, a reliable tip, that we verified, that's important, mm-hmm. and it was from a credible source, not a source by proxy, right. and we have a, here's a, a canceled check for the amount we paid Joe for his spy work. Everybody would say, okay, that's legitimate. But what if I'm investigating Joe for being a Russian spy and the same thing happens? I say, okay, show me the documents that started this investigation. And the investigation documents they show me are dated after the investigation started. In other words, I started investigating Joe on June 1st Mm -hmm. and all of the documents they show me are dated August. You're like, wait, 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 wait. You're telling me you're showing me the evidence that started the investigation against Joe, but the evidence is dated after you started the investigation against Joe. Why did you start the investigation? Oh, oh, because you were targeting Joe. You weren't targeting a crime. Mm -hmm. You targeted Joe and found evidence. You didn't get evidence and then find Joe. Listen, this is so critical you get this. You have to find evidence and then get the target. Not target someone and then go find evidence. That is not the way the justice system works. Now, I was trying to think of a way, given my experience working in this this arena, to explain this to you. And I thought, you know what? This is so simple. When I was a Secret Service agent working very one specific uh, case that had a terrorism nexus, so we were involved with the FBI and some people with counterterrorism experience, it was a financial fraud case. It did not start as a counterterrorism investigation started as the furthest thing from it. It started as investigation into a simple credit card fraud that, you know, again, being frank with you, I thought the case was BS when I first got it. I think I may have told you the story before. I get a call from a bank investigator about a, a charge in a Home Depot in Long Island on a stolen credit card. And I was busy. It was campaign season, Joe. Mm-hmm. Hillary Clinton was running for Senate at the time in mm-hmm. New York. We were super busy. She was out in our district all the time. And I remember I saying to the guy, let's call him 
Bill for the sake of this. Bill, I got no time for this. I'm sorry. It's just, what do you got? You got $100 in fake credit card? And he was calling from the bank who got defrauded. Right. Because the credit card was stolen and the bank had to pay the charge. You get what I'm saying? Someone shows up with yeah. a stolen credit card from whatever, Bank of Bill. They buy something in a Home Depot. It's a fraudulent charge. Mm-hmm. The bank still has to pay Home Depot. But then the, the uh, what do you call what, the, the The bank never gets its money back. Right. Why? Because the guy who had the card wasn't the card holder. He stole the credit card, obviously. So the bank lost money. I thought the case was BS. The case turned out to be a monstrosity. We wound up getting all kinds of awards for it. Uh, Department of Justice Award for it. Uh, I, I don't really care. I'm, I'm just telling you because it was, it was a big case. The IRS was involved. Uh, I believe TIGDA from the IRS. Uh, the Postal Inspection Service was involved. The FBI, Long Island office, Lyra, the Long Island Resident Agency was involved. Um, it, was, it was a monster. The case wound up taking about two years, all from that one charge. They, we had a whole bunch of people involved in this thing. Wow. Local Nassau County Police, Suffolk, NYPD at one point. Um, it was a monster, Joe. But it all started from a piece of evidence. Hmm. What was the piece of evidence? A receipt from Home Depot with a signature of Joey Bag of Donuts. And when we went to Joey Bag of Donuts and said, hey, Joey, did you buy this $100 in lumber from Home Depot? Joey Bag of Donuts said, that's not me. Someone stole my credit card. And it obviously wasn't him. Why did we know that? Because we pulled the video from the store. And when we looked at the guy who was at the counter with the credit card number, and we it was clearly not Joey Bag of Donuts, okay? It wasn't even close. Mm. And it wasn't his signature either. So Joey Bagadona said, that's not me. What do we have, Joe? A crime. All right. What do we have? We have evidence of a crime. Yep. Now, when you look at that case file, even at, obviously I can't disclose the details of it, unlike the leakers in the John Brennan CIA and FBI who wanted to disclose, uh, and Jim Comey's FBI who disclosed anything they could to the press at the time. If I were to read to you, I wrote the whole report. The report at the end was probably close to... The case file was well over 10,000 pages, I'd oh. say. The report alone was probably close to two, 300. I wrote it. I wrote every word of it. It's still there in that Secret Service office in Long Island. I could probably tell you the case number. And the first line of the summary section, which is the longest, show, says on such and such a date, I was contacted by Bill from the bank of bill and asked to look into a suspicious charge at home depot does this make sense folks now on the trump spygate case why the fbi won't turn over the very same documents to congress congressional uh, investigative oversight uh, congressional overseers of the intelligence community who are asking for it you need to ask yourself. I thought to myself all day, had some, what is, I said it on Ingram last night, what is point zero? What is the opening line of the case against, of the Spygate case they opened? It has a case number like anything else, Joe, right? against the Trump team. What does that opening line read? What does it read? Nobody can tell you. Nobody. I know how my case started. This thing spiraled into terror connections, untaxed cigarettes, money laundering, $300 million in credit card fraud, all from one opening line. On such and such a date, we received a call from Bill at the Bank of Bill about a fraudulent credit card charge. It was evidence. What is the opening line of the Spygate case? The date keeps getting pushed back and pushed back and pushed back and pushed back. Why? Because more evidence is surfacing that the FBI and CIA took law enforcement and intelligence community actions against the Trump team without an opening line of actual evidence of a crime. Bingo. You have macho man. Oh, yeah. Thank you, Randy. God rest his soul. What's the opening line? 
I can't emphasize this enough. I, I you know, when when you're on Fox, you got to be quick. You only get like two minutes. Yeah. Right? You know the deal, right? Mm-hmm. You get oh, yeah. two minutes. I, I don't have to. I, I couldn't. What is point zero? What is the opening line of the summary section of the case number against Donald Trump? What does it say? What does it say? John Brennan had a hunch Donald Trump was a spy. That's not evidence, folks. <laughs> what does it say? <laughs> right. Barack Obama didn't like Donald Trump and his and his choice of ties one day, so we opened up a spy case. What does it say? Now, what I find awfully suspicious about this case also is we keep hearing this talk of the case started in late spring. So clearly, if that is the case, Joe, the FBI's report on this, the summary section should have a date in about June right. of 2016. Yeah. Now, remember, we were told before that the case was formally opened in July. Yeah. Okay, so why are all these things happening in June if the case was opened in July? Again, what's the opening line? Now, very suspicious. What also happens in June, Joe? This is why this is, I'm telling you this was a setup. This was an entrapment operation from the start, from the get-go. Right around, well, not right around, on June 9th. Mm-hmm. There's a meeting in Trump Tower between Don Trump Jr., Paul Manafort, a couple others, a Russian lawyer, and another Russian who show up for the meeting. Duh. The, <laughs> the meeting is set up by the, the meeting is set up by a British publicist to e, publicist, excuse me, that emails Don Trump Jr. and says, "Hey, I was contacted by this these people, the Agalarovs. They're uh, the sons of famous singer in Europe. You may have heard this story before, but this is critical. You understand this right now because we're talking about what's the opening sentence of the summary in this case. This." British publicist emails Don Trump Jr. and says, hey, I need you to basically take this meeting. I have information given to me by this Agalarov crew, one of the sons of famous singer over there that knows Donald Trump from the Miss Universe pageant. They told me they were talking to the crown prosecutor of Russia. There's no such position. They were probably referring to the equivalent of the Russian attorney general. And it's basically negative information on Hillary. I'm going to send someone over to meet with you. Trump Jr. accepts the meeting. Now, he's been open about it. He's disclosed. This is why I don't fault him for it. And I'm not trying to cover his butt. He has been completely open and honest about it. He has gone and testified about this. He has disclosed all the emails about it. If he had something to hide, he sure as hell ain't hiding it. Now, was the meeting a bad idea? Yeah, I'd probably think they'd agree to that too right now, obviously, given everything that's going on. Is it criminal? Absolutely, unequivocally not. So Don Trump Jr. accepts this June 9th, 2016. Remember, the case is not open until July. Wink, wink, supposedly. This is June. June, July. June, July. It's now June 9th. Who shows up for the meeting? A lawyer by the name of Natalia Veselnitskaya. What is incredible about Natalia Veselnitskaya is she's also working. Let me read this from a hat tip, Paul Sperry. These will all be in the show notes today, by the way, at Bongino.com. Natalia Veselnitskaya, the one who shows up for the meeting with Don Trump Jr., tell me this isn't a setup, folks, is working with Fusion GPS on a separate case. The Fusion GPS, the same operation hired by Hillary Clinton to go dig up fake information on Trump. Listen to what I'm telling you. An entity hired by Hillary Clinton to gin up information on Donald Trump is also working with a Russian lawyer who shows up to a meeting with Donald Trump alleging to have information about Hillary Clinton. And this makes sense to you. Let me read to you from Paul Sperry's piece at the New York Post. This piece came out a little while ago to be in the show notes today, but it's definitely worth your time. The guy running the Fusion GPS hit job on Trump, uh, Glenn Simpson hired Christopher Steele, a British spy, to get information. But he also was working with a guy named Ed Baumgartner. 
Now, here's from the Post piece. Baumgartner had been working alongside Simpson as a Russian translator for a New York law firm defending a Russian holding company, Prevazon, in a money laundering suit filed by the U.S. Justice Department in Manhattan. Owned by Denis Katsev, a Putin-tied oligarch, Prevazon was sanctioned under the Magnitsky Act. Also defending Prevazon was Natalia Veselnitskaya a Russian lawyer who Simpson helped lobby Congress to repeal Magnitsky by attacking William Browder, the banker-turned-human rights activist who championed it. Wait, let me get this straight. Let me just walk you through this. Hillary hires Fusion GPS Mm -hmm. to dig up dirt on Trump. Fusion GPS hires a British spy and another guy familiar with Russia by the name of Ed Baumgartner to, to dig up information on Donald Trump to use against him that was later used to spy on the Trump team. The guy Fusion GPS hires, Ed Baumgartner and Christopher Steele, are also working hand in hand with the same Russian lawyer who shows up at the meeting in Trump Tower alleging to have bad information on Hillary. Uh, Yeah, folks, town sounds totally above board. (laughs) Joe, are you following here? Yeah, I am. This lady, what this was a setup. Hey, you think we could get... Why is... It's June. The case isn't open till July. There is still no opening sentence of that summary that has any evidence of a crime. So what do you do? You fabricate a crime. Let's send a Russian lawyer in there. And let's send a Russian lawyer telling him we have information on Hillary. Right. By the way, who else shows up? This is crazy. Want to scramble your eggs for a moment? With Veselnitskaya, Joe. A guy named Renat Akhmetshin shows up. This guy is a known contact for Russian intelligence. There's no question about it. Hmm. He has unquestionable ties to Russian intelligence. He's in the meeting too. Who's his lawyer? His lawyer's a guy named Ed Lieberman. I'm trying to get the quote. Ed Lieberman and his wife Evelyn are friends of the Clintons. Here's a quote from Akhmetshin. I know Hillary Rodham Clinton. I know some people who worked at her campaign. (laughs) So the woman who shows up for the meeting with Don Trump Jr. at Trump Tower is working with the company Hillary hired to generate negative information on Donald Trump. It's as simple as that. The guy she brings with her is a guy with known Russian intelligence contacts whose lawyer is very friendly with the Clintons and who claims to know Hillary and people on her campaign. This is June. The case isn't open till July. Or was it? Or was the attempt to generate paragraph one in the summary ongoing? In other words... I'm comfortable, paragraph one of my summary in my case, that the case we opened was based on substantial evidence of an actual crime. Mm -hmm. We had a receipt. We had a credit card holder who said, that is not me buying that wood in that Home Depot. Therefore, we opened the criminal case. The counterintelligence case, granted, doesn't have the exact same requirements, but we would think in a legitimate constitutional republic, Joe, that if the government was going to dedicate a massive FBI spying operation against you, that there would be some evidence of, at a minimum, a counterintelligence infraction. Yeah. What I'm trying to tell you is what if that infraction didn't exist and was an ongoing attempt to generate it through a series of entrapment operations by sending people into the Trump orbit? We already know that Halper... The FBI spy brought on to infiltrate the Trump orbit there and and interact with the Trump sphere to start paragraph one and to get that receipt contacted Carter Page two weeks before the case was even open in July. What's paragraph one? Now, making things even more suspicious about this now is the panic being generated by people in the intelligence community, Jim Clapper and others. We haven't even gotten to that audio yet, Joe. we got so much. Gosh, the news cycle, folks. It's so hard to stay ahead of it. I feel like I could do two, three special shows a day. But this is important. I get to this. Maybe we'll do it tomorrow because it's critical. The Washington Post 
around this same June period. Now, this is a critical timeline, right? Mm -hmm. June 9th, the meeting happens. I don't believe paragraph one exists yet. They're trying to generate it. Oh, now we got it. Donald Trump met with these Russians claiming to have information on Hillary. They're both interacting with people in the Hillary sphere. The Russian lawyer and the former Intel uh, connected guy who shows up. They both have interactions with Hillary people. What, they didn't know anything about this? That happens June 9th. Joe, what happens June 14th? The critical key to this whole case. The paragraph one happens June 14th. Paragraph one. The DNC discloses to the public that they've been hacked on the uh, by the Russians on June 14th. Keep in mind, there is still no law enforcement evidence. They may have been, they may not. The DNC does not let the FBI in. They don't let any law enforcement agency in. They just, we're all supposed to take them at their word. June 14th, late spring, we find out from the DNC, not law enforcement, that they've been hacked by the Russians. Is this, again, an act? The June 9th, so you're tracking, Joe. June 9th doesn't work. Why? Because Don Trump Jr. doesn't take the bait. Right. The Russian lawyer doesn't have anything on Hillary. It's a setup. Instead of Don Trump Jr. sitting there in a meeting going, hey, man, we really need stuff on Hillary. What can we pay you? That's what I believe that's what they wanted. Can we give you some money? Can we put you on the payroll to gin up this fake information on Hillary? Don Trump Jr. doesn't bite. He shows up. The lady has nothing. He says, hey, thanks. See you later. And then discloses the emails. Says, hey, here's what happened. June 9th doesn't work out. They can't write paragraph one. Hey, we approached Don Trump with information he didn't take. That's not paragraph one. That's garbage. That's extensive garbage time, to quote Marv Albert from his old Nick games. (laughs) So what happens next? They're desperate for paragraph one. June 14th. The DNC discloses, oh, we've been hacked by the Russians. There's your paragraph one, buddy. Now, in paragraph one, Joe, in a normal case, ordinarily, what would it say in paragraph one with an allegation as explosive as that? It would say the FBI analyzed these computers and found hard forensic analysis through some penetration testing or whatever it was, mm-hmm. uh, computer you know, terminology, that they found evidence that the Russians had, in fact, hacked the DNC. This is a serious threat in our election. We have got to run with this. That's not what happened. That's not what paragraph one says. What paragraph one says is a company called CrowdStrike whose chief technical officer sat on the Atlantic Council, funded largely by a major Clinton donor. They're the ones that said this. Now, all of a sudden, the FBI has paragraph one to write their summary. Why is this interesting? Well, it's interesting that what I just told you that, but this is even more fascinating when you read, and this, I hate putting Washington Post links in my show notes. But I'm imploring you to read this piece. It's long, but the piece, Joe, is from when? June 17th, three days after the, quote, revelation about the DNC hack. Just enough time, Joe, to get this piece together with all your background data, but just enough time to not make it commensurate with the, uh, you know, uh, with the, yeah. the date, to not make the date marry up. Because the date marries up, then all of a sudden it's suspicious. Give it a few days. Read this piece by the Washington Post. I have some quotes from it, but the title of the piece, oh, forgive me, I have so many links open on my thing. Uh, It's important, though. Inside Trump's financial ties to Russia and his basically unusual activities, the title of the piece, okay? This uh, This is June. Three days after the announcement. Read the piece. There are neutron bombs in here. Ladies and gentlemen, how did the Washington Post on June of 2016, before there was a FISA warrant issued, and months before an FBI formal investigation was even open? Let me remember the names. How does the Washington Post have these names? I'm just going to briefly read because we're running out of time, and I'll get to the Clapper stuff. The Clapper stuff tomorrow is another gem, right? 
Here's one of the lines from the piece. The coming together of Trump's business and political agendas was evidenced during his 2013 Moscow trip in which he was seeking deals at the same time he was starting to ponder a presidential run. Wow, sounds like a motive. Sounds like a motive for corruption. That didn't exist. Oh, so Trump had business interests and now he's running for office? Sounds like someone may have slipped the Washington Post a fake motive. Hey, write this in your piece. By the way, they're talking about the 2013 Moscow trip. What happened, Joe, on the 2013 Moscow trip, according to the fake dossier? Oh, the golden showers episode, the disgusting sexual escapades, the dossier discussed about Donald Trump. That never happened. Why is the Washington Post so read in on this 2013 Moscow trip? Oh, oh, who's one of their sources? Agalarov and his son, Russian pop musician Emin Agalarov, told the Washington Post that they befriended Trump after the pageant and listened as he described his view of U.S.-Russia relations. Agalarov, the same guy who probed the British publicist and sent him the information and asked them to set up the meeting with the lawyer and the Russian intel guy connected to the Clinton operation that showed up at the Trump Tower meeting. Same guy. Bill Clinton, same guy, same guy. Hey, buddy. Same guy. The Washington Post has this guy in June. Right around the same time, the meeting, the setup meeting at Trump Tower happens with the people sent there by people, uh, uh, by a company working with the Clintons. And right around the same time that the DNC, three days after the DNC alleges that there was a Russia hack into their computers. How's the Washington Post know that? You sure that dossier wasn't already ready to go? Here's another doozy from the piece. Read it. Read the piece. It is, you will be like, oh my gosh. Someone in uh, the IC and the FBI was talking to the Washington Post and laying this whole case out. Here's another great one. Who do they go to, Joe, for a comment on this case as well, on the Republican side? Oh, David J. Kramer. But notice what they mention. Oh, don't forget, this is a new... Uh, mm-hmm. Here's from the piece. David J. Kramer, who served... But listen how they describe him. Who served as Deputy Assistant Secretary of State dealing with Russia during the George W. Bush administration, said he was appalled by Trump's approach. Who's David J. Kramer? Oh, he works at that McCain Institute now? Oh, he's also the same guy who public reportings disclosed passed the dossier to the FBI while working with McCain in that operation. What did I tell you the other day? This is not a Democrat operation against Trump. This was a swamp operation. How did Washington Post know immediately to go to Kramer? And what's fascinating, why they describe him as a uh, using their his his relationship with the Bush administration, but they mention nothing about his uh, current connection to John McCain. Why'd you do that? How'd you know to go right to him? Someone tell you to do that? Oh, here's another one, Joe. Mm -hmm. The Washington Post. Hitting right. This is amazing how they know to target this guy. One of his foreign policy advisors talking about Trump. Retired Lieutenant General Mike Flynn said Trump would be exceedingly stronger than Hillary Clinton. Uh the presumptive Democratic presidential nominee, and said, she, uh, uh, and he said she was an utter failure in her goal as Secretary of State to reset Russia relationships. Then they go into a thing on Flynn. How'd they know that? Oh, this is where it gets great. This is. Oh, is this good? You remember the cut we played the other day of the Trump campaign advisor Michael Caputo? Mm-hmm whose name seems to have materialized out of nowhere. Yeah. Caputo was ruthlessly attacked by the Mueller witch hunt that has nearly been bankrupted. And as far as we know, has committed no crimes at all. Caputo's fought back. Caputo has been going on the news complaining about this witch hunt and its attack on him and his credibility. And Caputo made a stunning allegation again last night on Fox. We played the cut the other day. He said this before. That there were other federal agencies, three-letter agencies, with other informants trying to probe the Trump campaign because they reached out to him. I'm pretty sure we know who that is, by the way. I'll get to that some other time. But Michael Caputo, we'd never heard his name before. 
you did if you read this piece in June of 2016. Listen to this. It's almost as if, Joe, someone in the intelligence community and the FBI is talking to the Washington Post. Joe, that doesn't happen. No. Right around the time of the Trump Jr. meeting, right around the time the DNC alleged it had been hacked. Let me read this to you. An advisor who helped run Trump's efforts in the New York primary, Michael Caputo, lived in Russia in the 1990s. Caputo also had a contract for several months in 2000 with the Russian conglomerate Gazprom Media to improve Putin's image in the United States. Wow. The Washington Post was read in on this alleged Russian colluder, Michael Caputo, in June of 2016. I thought the case didn't start till July. Who else do they know about? Oh, another one, Joe. This is June 2016. Okay. From the piece. They go into attacking Flynn here. After that, Joe. Carter Page, also a Trump foreign policy advisor, once ran the Moscow office of Merrill Lynch, including advising the Russian energy giant Gazprom, according to his biography posted on an employer's website. Then they go into a hit job on Carter Page. How did they know about Carter Page? The FISA warrant on Carter Page wasn't signed until later in the year. Joe, it's almost as if paragraph one that they're hiding in this FBI, Spygate, CIA, IC community political hit job against Donald Trump should read this. President Obama did not like Donald Trump. We did not want Donald Trump to win. We were looking for an excuse to spy on Donald Trump for both political advantage so we could listen in on their campaign and take proactive measures and also to prosecute them later in the rare event that they win this election so we can hide our misdeeds. So what did we do? We spent we spent time on Fusion GPS and other operations trying to entrap them through multiple means. We sent a number of human sources into the campaign to try to entrap them with fake allegations of Russian email hacks. By the way, we put out in June that the DNC was hacked by Russian emails, but we never let the FBI look into it because we're not exactly sure the Russians did hack the DNC emails. But if we don't say the Russians hacked the DNC emails, we have nothing to entrap the Trump team with with alleged hacked Russian DNC emails. We tried multiple multiple times to get in, including meetings at Trump Tower, including all kinds of interactions with Trump team members, and they would never bite. So what did we do? We started an investigation anyway. And this is an end, by the way, we used the media. We fed a story in June to people in the Washington Post and laid out our plot against Donald Trump. We then used those media sources to back up the information we already had and gave to the media as a reason to get a FISA warrant to spy on the Trump team because all our efforts at human interaction with the Trump team to get information from them failed as we fell flat on our faces. So we got a FISA warrant to spy on their texts and emails, and we passionately hoped and prayed that paragraph one would eventually turn up and we would get that receipt, that credit card receipt signed by someone with a stolen credit card. But what happened? They never got it. It never happened. And that's why right now, nobody can agree on where the stolen credit card receipt was. Because there is no paragraph one. Paragraph one should read exactly what I just told you. Read the Washington Post piece. Somebody spilled the beans to the Washington Post about the entire plot to take this guy down in June of 2016. Thanks again for tuning in, folks. Please go to my website, Bongino.com. Check out the show notes today. That Washington Post piece will be there. It is. It demands you read it, even though it is the Washington Post. Read it and tell me again how this wasn't a setup. I'll see you all tomorrow. You just heard the Dan Bongino Show. Get more of Dan online anytime at conservativereview.com. You can also get Dan's podcasts on iTunes or SoundCloud. And follow Dan on Twitter 24-7 at DBongino.